It was a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Podcast on CBS Sports. Your boy. Yes, it's the Brian Campbell. Back with a bang, back with a wild episode, as only the SOC box can do. Why? Because there ain't no fights t- worth talking about right now, or much news, I might add. No panache, no flag, no show. Waste of money. But you know, the BC, the Bugs, the Box, all three back with a bang indeed i got a great guest for you today please tell me you lived the same life i did in the 90s which was you know watching the nba late night surfing cinemax showtime if you can't find what you're looking for in that category if you if you if you actually know where i'm going with that uh you you looked for for some B cult movies. You look for Joe Bob Briggs, host of the last, host of Joe Bob's Drive-In, of course, on TMZ, host of Monster Vision on TNT. Joe Bob Briggs, such a 90s icon where I come from, okay? I'm chatting with the fella today. All right, I'm going deep with this guy. He's got a new show that's on the Shutter Network that's going to be back for a new season. In fact, this Friday with Chris Jericho of Wrestling Fame as his co-host. So a lot to get into on that if you like crappy movies. And really the one man who really knew what he was talking about in breaking down said crappy movies. Joe Bob, do you really count all them breaths in every movie you show? And uh, yeah, I do. It's pitiful, isn't it? I actually make little marks on a legal pad. And so please don't tell my mother that I do that, okay? Thank you, Joe Another Bob. Thing I- Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. The three, if, you, if you didn't live life with the three Bs, then you didn't live. So there's this particular type of movie that would qualify as a drive-in. Yeah, uh, three elements. Three elements. Blood, breasts, and beasts. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, we also got some box news we're going to round up with the Boogs. We're also going to dig deep right now into the life of this co-host of mine. I know what you're saying. Who is this guy? We don't know this guy. Let's go. I mean, look, Kurt Emhoff with the great podcast can't be the only one to put his hands deep inside of Rafe and see what he'll find in there. Something that might inspire him. Minas. That really inspired me. Let me bring in my co-host. Last week, I tried to replace him with the great Alex Godinez. It didn't end up working out. He is a New York Times best-selling author. My brother and the boxing bang. His name is Rafe Bartholomew. Let me lick you up. Let me lick you down. Who's away? Come back to me. No more quarantine. Bugs, your bye week is over. You, your your excommunication of the podcast is over. You're back. Uh, I had you propped up in front of that barbershop window, but you survived. I listen to you very well, all right? Um, but now I it's it's round 10. It, you got to let me out the cage, all right? 
Yes, yes, you, uh, yes, indeed. Thank you, thank you. But I still got him in the cage. He listens to me very well. I'm gonna let him loose him. Um, you know, with that with that buzz cut, Brian, yes. you are starting to look a little bit like uh, Hall of Fame trainer Tim Lane. I think if you put like a bandana over that, you would get there. Yeah, easy, easy. Uh, it is a bad haircut. I'm rocking. Uh, I gave I'll myself- be the Algeri to your Tim Lane, man. I, I will do that. I I'll eat the avocados it. and slay the ladies, and uh, you can embarrass me on national whatever on pay per view. I got coveted uh, in terms of the haircut. I got a little too confident. Now I got the buzz cut. Not loving. Your hair it. got the virus. Need that salad back. Yeah, my hair did. Uh, need that salad back in my life, Rafe, so I can do things to it. You know where I'm going with that, um, Rafe. Let's talk, all right? Let's talk math. Let's talk boxing. Let's talk life. Um, how how are you doing in this quarantine, Rafe? I'm hanging in there. I can't look. I I can't. Not, I feel like if uh, I'm fortunate enough to be able to work from home, which is such a huge luxury right now. With you look around, people losing jobs, um, or if they're not losing jobs, having to really way that um you know the risk of going out and working and and supporting themselves uh but also risking getting sick getting their loved ones sick it's the world is full of impossible choices right now and i'm very i I'm, look i'm doing good i can't you i li- i would want to punch myself in the face if i complained i, I appreciate that please don't complain okay there, there's th- if you want to do certain things i want right to be now, different i mean if you want to do things during this quarantine just freaking do it go to the grocery stores for crying out loud, go to the grocery stores. If you want to go to Bob Evans and eat, go to Bob Evans and eat. Well, uh, maybe not that last part. Um, Rafe, what are your thoughts? I don't want to get uh, socio-political here, but uh, a couple of these southern states, they're like, we're back in business, baby. Beaches open, tattoo parlors open, movie theaters open. You okay with this? Uh, um, I don't know, man. It's it's. It sounds it sounds like a very risky plan to me. Um, I look, I'm living in Michigan, a state where there is a whole a sort of a hotbed of controversy. Right. I mean, we've had uh, uh, protests going on at the state capitol up in Lansing uh, multiple times in the past week. The, the governor here, Gretchen Whitmer, has one of the most strict stay at home orders in the country, which includes, look, some honestly strange sounding regulations where they they had it, it it would it sort of set themselves up to look bad politically where it's like well you can go to Walmart and you can go to Home Depot but you can't buy the paint but you can buy like the there there's uh, you can't buy the gardening stuff but you can buy the liquor it, it it's stuff that doesn't totally make sense I, on the face of it maybe there is a greater rationale i kind of doubt it but in the overall the overall thrust of the measures Stay your ass at home if you if you if you don't have to go out because you know we also have one of the biggest outbreaks in the nation in in southeastern Michigan where I live right outside of Detroit and people are suffering in in a lot of ways so it's hard man uh, there's there's no good options um, down south where they're about to open up like that they're, oh I mean so look I, I heard our friends um, Eric Raskin and and Kieran aka Kiernan Mulvaney talking about this on their podcast this week shout out to showtime and they uh they they mentioned like what is the point of opening up the gyms on friday and then the theaters and the restaurants on monday i mean these are the those are sort of the things where i honestly i think that the governors who are in a rush to open those are the places i think they should step back and maybe slow down yes uh pushing that into back back to regularity barbara the, the really close proximity 
type exercise parts of life that makes no sense right now and atlanta still has an outbreak that's probably peaking so to to hear georgia talking about that it's it's scary and and you look you you, you right now because it hasn't happened yet we say i hope nobody no more people get hurt and suffer because of this but it's almost sure that they will because your people are going to go out there and get infected it's tough it's tough to live in that middle ground where everywhere you know i'm i'm blessed enough to be in a uh a house, not a you know jam-packed apartment building in a city. So I got some space, but yet I got that itch, man, to get back out there and resume normal life, which is covering fights, traveling, working, seeing people. And that itch is just right up against the fear of, like, ever getting on a train or airplane again. And that's, like, legit. You know, and I don't mean ever again, but I mean, like, for a year maybe. It's 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 hard to know whether you're, whether you're Dana White and Bob Arum or you're a governor of a state. It's hard to know when to say when. When is okay here, Rafe? Okay, there's a lot of unknown variables. So I just try to – I try to stay like, like Tyson in a lot of ways. I'm right, Charles, to the bullshit. <laughs> But that, but that BS. I don't, I don't take notice of bullshit. Thank you. Uh, that BS does try to attack you, you know? It, it, look, there's a lot of it out there. and it's t- we're fly- I mean, we've, look, we aren't – there are a lot of experts talking about this in more expert ways than us. But the country, the states are in many ways flying blind right now, not really knowing because of the lack of testing and all the other sort of measurables that could help them – get a better handle on how risky certain behaviors are, uh, we don't know. So it's just sort of like, well, go out there, wash your hands, try not to touch your face and cover your face, and hopefully not too many of y'all get sick. Um, but if if that doesn't work, then, you know, uh, you're asked out, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right about that. Uh, shout out, Rafe. Did you, you, I don't, I, you probably didn't listen last week, but we had Josh Taylor of the Tartan Tornado. I did listen. Are you oh, kidding? Wow. I, I treated it like uh, one of, like, like a great episode of PBC Face to Face. You know I listened. <laughs> I, look, I had to, I had to protect my corner. I had to make sure that Godinez was not actually trying to make a move on me because that ain't happening. Well, I do want to shout out Alex Godinez. Uh, what a funny dude. He does fit in in this ilk, Rafe, so hopefully we get more more uh, deep drives on the on, on the D, Oscar. Uh, and hopefully we get more from this great content provider, Evan Korn. I don't know if you heard him make that quick appearance during the Teo pod, but he also, Rafe, uh, got us three consecutive weeks of great guests. He, he's really ready, you know, from his point of view to really enter the SOC Hall of Fame and maybe have that content provider of the year award named after him. But I'm like, not until you get us the guy we really want in the top-ranked Zanfer stable. You know who I'm talking about. Sexy Mexi Sergey, or, uh, sorry, Sexy Mexi Sergio, who is Jose Zepeda. So we can uh, have John. him on and dispel this top-ranked myth that he did not beat Jose Ramirez that night in Fresno. But I think that since you and I were there, EK was there, I think he understands that it did happen. It did exist. We both know it did exist. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, Seriously. You, you can say you don't know what I'm talking about, but, but I'm seriously I know, saying it. And you know it did exist. No, I don't know. So get so, out of the hot tub, EK. All right, get just, me Zepeda. Just to get this straight, Brian, are you is is now uh, Ramirez Zepeda going up in your pantheon of 
cards that you your <laughs> hills you want to die on, like like uh, Canelo Trout, yes, yes. where you're you're gonna be running into Zepeda and his entire family in a casino in one day, covering <laughs> a fight old, and hug them and say you beat. You beat Ramirez, bro. You beat him. Uh, I still can't believe I went up to Caleb Trout, uh, Caleb Plant. Sorry, last month or two months ago, and was like, "Bro, you're gonna beat Canelo. I know it. I know you have what it takes." What was I thinking? I, th- I think I still stand by that. But yes, uh, Thurman did beat Pacquiao uh, in in the in the Campbell household, and uh, I got a few others in there. Right? Hey, that wasn't a draw in the Dwyer household. Uh, speaking of Richie, uh, you got. I haven't been following his stuff during this COVID. Uh, I-, I see that on your Skype right now. You've got a picture behind you of uh richard with the uh, u-haul boxes he looks like he's he looks like he's like in a shipping container where they found those prostitutes in second season of wire of the wire um you got any update on rich does he have a face does he have hands <laughs> then he doesn't exist yes 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 all right uh rafe in seriousness um I'm sure everyone at this point has got people close to them that have uh, suffered or even or even passed because of the covid or, you know, in your town and your extended friend base or whatever. It's been tough to read. It obviously extended to boxing where we lost uh, retired longtime referee Eddie Cotton, who we remember um, from a lot of big heavyweight fights. Tyson Lewis, certainly one of them. Um, Fury Cunningham. Absolutely. And then he's George Foreman against uh, Shannon Briggs. He did a. Macklin shouted them out for doing the Sergio fight. And uh, then we lost uh, in Detroit. This one hit hit close to home. Tony Harrison, the former junior middleweight champs, father and trainer, Ali Salam, uh, fell victim to COVID at age 59 and uh, did not come back. Uh, Tough, tough breaks. Tough breaks here. Rafe. Yeah, there's nothing, literally nothing uh, any of us can say. It's uh, it's heartbreaking. And, and, uh, you know, you just send uh, deepest condolences to Eddie Cotton's loved ones and, of course, Tony Harrison. I mean, he's a fighter who, uh, in the past year, a lot of us sort of fell in love with because of the two really. The, well, the second, well, the first fight with Jermel Charlo wasn't super exciting, right? It was slower than than expected because Tony Harrison did what he wanted to do with it uh, and 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 eked that out. But and then the second fight was great. But then all the lead up, the lead, because they had to do the build up twice, and Tony Harrison was such a, a engaging and even though in a moment of tragedy it's it's weird to look back on it and say man he's a funny uh, funny you know crap talker but he was and he did a great job selling those fights and i don't know man you just you know wish, wish him the the best and and send him you know your heart goes out to his whole family absolutely thank you well said rafe um we're going to come back after a quick pause for the cause Break down whatever news there actually is. And then I'm going to go 20 for 20 with Rafe Boogs. Yes, uh, tastefully brought to you by uh, by Blue Moon, Rafe. It's a new uh, SOC series where we go for 2020, 20 questions deep inside the life of Boogs. This is you better be effing get inside there, yeah, then, boy. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Thank you so much, Joe Goosen. We'll do that uh, after we'll be back, as Chuck Lillard would say, in two and two, Rafe. Yeah, take it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. BC Boogs still to come. Joe Bob Briggs, the 90s icon movie reviewer. Rafe, I was very disappointed to find out you were not on Team Joe Bob Briggs. You were like, who? You're like, uh, uh, YouTubers, right? I mean, that's that. Yeah. You, you hit Who me up. Who the hell is that? I mean, I'm not. I, I didn't. Yeah. Who the hell is that? Rafe, I'm not into that. You didn't grow up flipping the channels, find TNT, Monster Vision, watch Joe Bob come out of the uh, the the motor home with that busty male girl next to him, and that sounds familiar. But still, man, this was not me. Um, I and I look, I was a channel flipper by the time we got cable a little late. Maybe that was the issue, but. I look. I I know me some red shoe diaries. I know me. So I look in in New York. We had a thing called Channel Thirty Five and the Robin Bird Show, and you don't even know. You ain't even ready for that. Plus everything. I mean, if you watched, uh, if you watched public access channels, um, you know what, sixteen thirty four, uh, sixteen seventeen thirty four and sixty seven. Bingo. Late at night, yes. you were guaranteed to just get 30 minutes of someone with a camcorder in a strip club. Yeah. And that was like, when you hit on that, it was gold, baby. Yes. These aren't exactly films I'm talking about, though. Um, but Brian. <laughs> yeah, man, those days were the best, you know? <laughs> you had to work. It wasn't, it wasn't easy back in our day, right? Oh, I mean, you're God. either going into a bodega or a gas station oh, walking out with a black bag. You did have to or, work for it. You're not kidding, though. You had to really use your imagination at times. He's standing in front of the net with about eight inches of his shaft in his hand. God. I mean, like, thank you. I, by the way, I just want to say I want to thank the great, uh, you know, uh, the great Shamar Moore and Soul Train for all they did for me over the years. I want to thank Rachel from Caribbean Rhythms on BET. I want to thank MTV's The Grind. I want to thank Emmanuel. By the way, uh, uh, spoiler alert, Joe Bob and I do go deep on uh, some Emmanuel talk, some uh, Mark for Death talk. I had him. Uh, tell me if there was a better death than the one Screwface Two uh, encountered, and uh, he he well, he is a big fan of that ilk as well. But um, you're right. The, 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 remember tape trading, and I'm not talking about boxing matches. Remember you'd like find out in high school somebody had access to some tapes, and and I mean that that gross grime. <laughs> I mean, I I had the same guy for boxing and my <laughs> other stuff, and his name was Ray Poplowski. I mean, wow, my God, wow. Wow. Um, yeah, it's over now. And with that, let's close this interview. Thank you. Um, yeah, just thinking about that. And, you know, I got horny. Okay, okay uh, Rafe, uh, yeah, and then the tapes you'd get from, like, some dude's brother, and you'd sneak it home in your backpack, and it was always gross. It was just gross. I mean, it was... Yeah, we're yeah. It was from like the seventies. Where it, people don't know, you don't, you know, you already know. You don't know, you don't know, right? This ain't this ain't your cell phone, right? You know, you know, you know where I'm going with that. I mean, that's that's a real deal. This ain't Jorge Coda. This thank ain't Jorge Coda. Thank you, thank you. All right, uh, Rafe, let's get into a a bit of news. It'll go quickly. Uh, Errol Spence. I'm sorry, not Errol Spence. Bud Crawford, every time they put a microphone in front of him, he says some stuff. I mean, first it was on the Mannix Pod. Uh, kind of perpetuating the idea that 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 the COVID outbreak is a myth, and um, and by the way, I'm not here to say anyone who sniffs any of that is crazy or crazy this or you're on this side of this political line. Um, you can, if you watch the news and talk to people in your life, you'll realize this is actually real. But is some of the overplay on the news 
uh, fear-mongering? Maybe, all right? But Bud was just straight up saying, this ain't even a thing. So that was interesting. But he also came out in a subsequent interview and, especially, and essentially said, you want me to fight in front of an empty arena? He said this to Mannix, too. Pay me more. Now, Rafe, we had both Teofimo and Josh Taylor on here who at length gave, um, you know, thoughtful breakdowns about why they wouldn't want to and really have no plans to fight in an empty arena because of how much the fans fuel them. Uh, what are your thoughts on Bud's take about this topic? Well, I think for all three of them, the it, unfortunately, it sounds unrealistic, right? Because it could be, I mean, if they're talking about minimum one year to 18 months before there is an approved vaccine and then talking about uh, and then talking about mass producing it on a nationwide or worldwide basis, that that could take a very long time. Um, I mean, right now, and this was years ago, you, you would expect with everything people are capable of today, uh, you could do it faster. But the, the record for a vaccine with mumps is four years. Uh, so this could be we're in this for a, a long time, I think. And certainly when boxing first comes back and all sports, probably they're going to be happening without live crowds watching them. And money is probably going to talk there uh, and time as well. So right now I'm before the, that reality has set in and look, if that reality doesn't come to bear, fantastic. I mean, who would not love the, for that, that to be the case, but it's very difficult to imagine how we get out of that problem at this time. But so when that when that reality sets in for fighters, for athletes and and the schedule starts to pick up, hopefully later this year. And they say, look, we can start doing fights down here in Florida or wherever we are or on Fight Island, whatever. Um, I enjoyed Paulie Malignaggi uh, on, on IFL TV sending Fight Island to hell recently <laughs> um, because that was a that was a ridiculous idea to begin with. It was just impossible from the start. I've also uh, secured an island. <laughs> I've got an island. The infrastructure is being built right now. Oh, what a madman. The island of Dr. Endeavor. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, there's it, it looks like fights are going to start happening, and when they start happening for several months, there aren't going to be live crowds there. And maybe some fighters will want to wait and, and, and see if they can you know, come back after that period is done when they can fight with live crowds and, and bigger purses because of the gate money. But time will intervene, right? I, Bud is in his early 30s. He's about the same age, maybe older than Vasily Lomachenko. Who, and these guys don't want to lose what's left of their prime years waiting for something that might be uh, at least a year or more away. And they're also going to want to start making money again. I'm sure, I hope that in, in, in many cases they have a nice nut to sit on and they don't need money. But they're still going to want to start earning again and and make the most of the what of their of their best years and and as fans we want to see that and in terms of making the their best career decisions that's going to happen i don't think they're going to get paid more for it because there's going to the, there's going to be less money on the table for it so it, there's going to be a smaller pie to take from who's i, just, I think everyone's going to have to accept that probably the money is going to get a little worse than it was before. And, and shoot, I, as athletes, I can understand why they hate that. Well, right. That's a, and, and like, they're going to walk in and say, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. That's your problem, Bob. It ain't my problem, but I don't know if, if you know, if they can, if they're going to be able to win that negotiation, if the money just isn't there. I mean, we're seeing, I mean, even in my area, Hartford, Connecticut, we're seeing pro like protests of people like, 
open life up again. I don't know, though, that that means, you know, that's more for like barbershops and, and restaurants. I don't know that that means we can have arenas with thousands of people. I think that just feels so far off, Rafe. Even, you know, and I don't think there's an in-between. I don't think it's like, well, we have, you know, three rows in between people. That doesn't, that, that well, you know, that doesn't really make sense. Um, you did mention sitting on nuts. That was weird. Cojones, bollocks, testicles, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, I've got them in AJ Don't, so uh, how about that? Hey, Ray, I'm sitting on a nut. I hope you are, too. Oh, wow. Uh, Danny Garcia says his legacy will not be complete without winning a title at 154. Uh, do you think he can? Um, I I don't know. It depends on depends on the matchup, right? I I don't know if I would favor him. I wouldn't favor him over Jamel Charlo. Um, Jason Rosario is a, a bit of a wild card because he really has just the one huge win over J Rock earlier this year. But we we don't know. We we don't have quite as good a feel of how how good he is. I don't think I would favor Garcia over um over Arislandi Lara in a. Except in a robbery, you know, yes, and yes. he wins on a lot of close cards. Good for you, Danny. Um, no, I don't think he's. Look, I'll say it. No, he ain't. He's gonna be sad about his end of his career because he's a small 147. Wow, wow. Basically, what you're saying to Danny is it's it's your night. Yes, but it ain't, and it won't, and you're not, and you ain't. Wow, simple as look, that. It, it, I simple shouldn't say that. that because there's all almost all. Danny Garcia is a very good fighter. And for a very good fight, he's a world-class fighter. And for fighters that talented, there's always a way to match them to a title. So, you know, if he ends up, look, if he ended up fighting Saddam Ali for a 154-pound belt like like, like like Jaime Munguia did, then yeah, Danny Garcia could get one. But right. right now, right, Danny. 154 has a lot of guys who have size and can fight. Danny can bang a little bit, though. This is all about Danny. He's had a big, busy year. He wants to go out on a bang. Literally on a bang and do the business. I'm sure he's doing the business during quarantine. Also, Rafe, to close here, uh, Canelo saying he expects to retire at 36, 37 at max. And last time I checked, was he still 29? Is that true? That's a lot of time, yeah. <laughs> That's plenty of time. Do you think oh. we will see him at age 37? Why not? I think that that sounds right. I mean, look, he already has over 50 fights. He's been fighting since he was he's been a pro since his teenage years. By that time, uh, I, all of that tracks to me. So and if he's look, if he's as, as successful over the next eight years as he has been recently, because right now. Canelo is at the point in his career where he's not going to be taking many BS fights, right? Even. Even the fights that we don't like for Canelo right now, the, the Billy Joe Saunders fights, that kind of stuff, those are still serious, difficult, meaningful legacy fights. And so if he, he's basically in that Mayweather stage where you're fighting a pretty big fight every time and even your down fights are going to be like you're fighting other current champions, maybe just not the guy that everyone wants to see you face at that moment. Um, so if he can be as success, that's like maintain that level of success over the next seven, eight years, he won't have anything left to prove for sure. And he'll probably, he'll have so much mileage on him. Yeah. That that, that doesn't sound, that sounds very, you know, that makes sense to me. Okay. Okay. Uh, we are hoping to get some fights back in our life when it does make sense. Brian, I had, there was a bit of news. I I don't know if you're trying to avoid this. Are you trying to avoid the hot topics, Brian? 
Uh, well, uh, typically, yeah. What do you got? Well, I mean, we saw we saw our guy Devin Dream Haney coming that out with the, the B-Hop. Bit. That was the other bit that I forgot to write down that I wanted to ax you. Thank you, Rafe. At least somebody got the topic right. Uh, Devin Haney said he'd never beat a white man. In response He'd to... never lose to a white man. Uh, that's, that's never well, beat... That as well. Uh, in, res- <laughs> in response to the idea of fighting Lomachenko, um, you know, you, you got the reaction you expected. People calling him racist, double standard, all that stuff. Um, he has come out somewhat sensitive in response to that. Uh, Rafe, what are your thoughts on this? I kind of give it as like, uh, yeah, it's wrong. Yeah, it is pretty much racist. I mean, if, if Tom Brady said, I'll never lose to a black quarterback, uh, we'd have an issue here. But I'm not really that mad at it, maybe because uh, boxing is a hood sport. Yeah, I, don't, I, I could not care less in terms of it offending me. I, I Especially, I don't know, my, I come at this from... The, the, the sport that I was remotely competitive at was basketball. And as, as a white boy, I can say that I loved I, – I, I was licking my chops anytime I saw another white guy I was going to be mashed up against. It's like, oh, I'm going to eat today. Give me the ball. It, you know, so I mean and, – and boxing is a sport where play, athletes are matched according to their ethnicity, their national origin – where great rivalries between Mexico and Puerto Rico, Mexico and the Philippines are are celebrated. Where there, you know, the concept of the great white hype or great white hope has been around for hundreds of a hundred years. Uh, it's it's a, you sell fights based on national, uh, you know, national attitude, nationalism, uh, you know, ethnocentrism. Hopefully, not outright racism, but that happens too, right? You yeah, don't yeah. like that. You you want to go in the other direction when you see that in any case uh i think that if you asked if you asked if you followed up with devin haney and said would you lose to any man he probably would say no 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 boy no man no person would ever beat me in the ring no I thailand lose, guy right no he's thailand the can guy, man ryan garcia a mexican american he can <laughs> get it uh, you know, an African, uh, you, you know, Mac, uh, he could get it. Isaac Dogbay, he could get it. Uh, I was so, in your ass and that's why you could, that's how gangster I am. All right. I just think that, uh, it's okay for fighters to feel that way. And whether or not fans like to hear it or the media gets offended by it, it is definitely a reality in a competitive athletic atmosphere where you're like, I ain't losing that. Look at that guy. And he's wrong. Yep. It, like, do I think that he, it is correct? No, yeah, I think. And also th- remember Joe Calzaghe ask B hop about this. I mean, look, look, I don't know if uh, super Joe would have, would have beaten any uh, I forgot of these guys reversed... in their actual prime. I forgot you hate white people when it comes to boxing, like Canelio is Canelo white. Yeah. He's white, right? He's white. You can't be, you, you he's can't, Irish. You, can, you can't be Mexican and white. Yes, <laughs> I mean, you can. you can be, you can be there. are Probably some very, they're like old uh, Spanish aristocracy still around, but I don't think, I mean, you see the, Canelo's brothers aren't as as fair skinned as him. He's um he's he's just uh, are you saying different. That, that Canelo's family had a Irish mailman? Is that what you're saying right now? <laughs> I don't know because you can see the you, they resemble each other. They have similar bone structure. I, I'm not trying to get into the deep. Maybe you never know. I mean, look, uh, we I wouldn't mind if uh, look if Canelo went on Maury Povich. Yes, oh, wow. that would be pretty like you know. 
you are not the father. Yeah. And then, man, it would suck <laughs> to be cut out of the Canelo money train because Maury and his paternity test found out that you were not the father. That's, that's a very, very, very fair point. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, we good friends. I love you, daddy. Let's get it on. All right. Uh, Rafe, I did want to mention one other thing that, you know, we hope fights come back. It looks like the skinheads will be back May 9th when UFC 249 uh, finds a home somewhere in Florida because that's the only state where it's legal. Yes, we've seen Bob Arum voice interest in either going to Vegas if they can pass that and use the UFC's PI, use the top ring gym, maybe use the performance center of WWE in Orlando, Florida. But Rafe, I do want to let you know that this week sports is back in another way. Are you eager to bet on sports again by any chance? Because oh, I got- you know I am. I love to, to put some money on the sports. All right. Well, listen to this. CBS Sports' NFL Pick 6 pod, yes, the one with Will Brinson, has you, Rafe, and all your people covered with a full NFL draft gambling preview available in their feed right now. You can hear from Vegas experts on the best draft pops, props, best draft props. Okay, props. We know Joe Burrow. I'd like to make some pop bets, though. Yeah, well, I, I, hey, like, hey. Is he going to buy the red pop or is he going to buy the Coke, the, the, the cola pop? Yeah, I mean, it was 420 the other day. Buy as much popcorn as you want. That kid think that daddy has some popcorn. Um, but what we're saying is, look, Rafe, we know Heisman winner Joe Burrow is going number one. But what's going to happen after that, Rafe? That's what you want to know. Look at him now. Look at him now. Pick six has your back. They will pod immediately after the conclusion of each day of the draft so you can expect full breakdowns by the time you wake up the next morning. Download and subscribe to the Pick 6 today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever fine audio is found. And please, tell them BC sent you. All right, Rafe, it is time to go deep inside of you. You better effing get inside of Rafe. I want to know about you, your people, where your people came from, the life you lived, how you made it to where you are today. Well, Brian, let's let's just off the bat, I think that we all know that nobody cares about me. They don't care about my people. They don't care about my life. But I will answer your questions. All right. All right. Uh, You're going to sit on the hot seat of our new series on SOC called 20 for 20, tastefully brought to you by Blue Moon. Um, Rafe, these are 20 questions for, for a man. We like to look at the whole man. That's ultimately what we do. And the year is 2020. So we might as well get to it with number one. You lost see in the world. Rafa, if you could have been ringside at one boxing match of all time that you weren't, what would you pick? And I say this off the heels of a little project we did to fill time on CBS Sports where my colleague Brent Brookhouse and I counted down the top 10 fights of this century. And it was fun to go back. And I started thinking, man, if I could have been at one of those, what would it be, Rafe? What about you as a fan? Well, God, there's a lot to look. All right. I, I think because it was such a memorable night in my life and I wasn't there and this is probably a dangerous choice, but I would say, uh, assuming, I, and it's probably not fair to assume that I would survive or not be grievously injured, but I would risk it all. And I would say, Bo Galata won. Wow. I want to be in that melee. I want to save Jim Lampley's daughter <laughs> and bring her back to him. Wow. 
zipper sound effect. Wow. All right. Uh, uh, I don't know, I know what she looked like. I know the emotional connection you and your Faja have with that fight. Right. Like, I want to help drag Lou Duva out of that ring and bring him to safety. In all seriousness, on paper, that was a great fight. We didn't really... We didn't really know that Bo was he had he had gotten somehow washed at twenty eight. We didn't really know, to be honest, that Golada was that good at that night. So imagine if you were there at the Garden Heavyweight Boxing. It's a pretty good fight, although one sided. It was really the rematch that Bo actually had a nice stand and made a little bit of a comeback there. But he got dominated in that first fight. But imagine being there when all that ish broke out. Holy freaking crap, Rafe! Wow, interesting answer. I like it. Number two. Utah, give me two. Uh, Rafe, uh, very interested in this question. What was the first beer you ever drank, and what was the situation? I'm not talking about a sip that some weirdo gave you behind the bar at McSorley's. I'm talking essentially about the whole thing, as Paul Pierce has said multiple times. You know, I'm tired of getting the taste of it. I want the whole load. Rafe, give us the story of your whole load for the first time. Brian, uh... Don't be fooled by the smooth taste. <laughs> My s- first beer was a Colt 45. Actually, I, I did some research on this, and Dwyer made was wrong. That's not actually a Colt 45 line. I think that is – I forget what. It's a different malt liquor, but it, my first drink was Colt 45. Um, it was high school – we were me and some some guys on my basketball team. Either the, the uh, we were going to you know somebody was having a house party or back in the late nineties they'd say a, oh, a free crib somebody got a free crib, and um, so we were walking uh, to say you know it was one of one of the one of the more well off kids in the school who lived on the Upper West Side. So we were walking over there from our high school and. Yo, we, we, we found a bodega that was willing to sell us all 40 of the Colt 45. We walked through Central Park in the middle of the night, drinking out of our bottles, getting drunk, and yes. that was it. This is like the, the sequel to kids. This is great. Look, there was no there was no none of that, none of none of none of the other stuff that happened in kids. We just were some high school athletes getting drunk and going going messing around, ta- uh, shooting the playing the dozens with each other. We were wholesome that. boys. I respect that. I respect box. I respect everybody. I respect everybody. Athletes. Uh, the first beer I drank Rafe, was um, uh, after a uh, Mickey Mantle League baseball game in which I was the, the scorekeeper slash manager for. We drank cups half filled with lemonade and half filled with Bush Light in uh, mm. 94, June of 94. That was some smooth taste. That me. was. That was. Uh, the first full beer I finished, though, Red Dog. How about that? Shout out to that. Right? Amen. What was Red Dog? Miller. Uh, was that a Miller product? No. Did you, did you ever get down with Zima? Oh, my God, dude. Did I get down with Zima? So, first of all, the Zima commercials were great when they first came. Yeah. So, by the time you and I were – well, I'm a little bit older than you. But by the time I'm, like, of high school age when you're going to start trying this stuff – they couldn't have been cooler, and also my young uncle and his friend, who I would hang out with at times, always had empty Zima <laughs> bottles around. So it looked to me like this was how people get down. It didn't look to me how some people looked at Zima like it was like a, a girlish substitute. Folks, for, for that's beer. not how men do. <laughs> and um, probably the, one of the darkest days of my life, January 3rd, 1997, Rafe, I, was, I went to a Rusted Root concert, only I never made it in the concert because I drank 11 and a half Zimas 
in one hour. <laughs> in one hour on the car ride there. And uh yeah, that 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 left a mark. Uh, I spent That the, is disgusting. I spent yeah, the look night. at that, like like 3000 calories. Yeah, and I also, and so I also had some You ever, remember when um St. Ides had that red like Kool-Aid tasting liquor? Yeah, the special brew, the be- they yo, they had the best commercials for those. That was the one where oh, it's like it was the Nate Dogs thing. Just hit the corner store. Yeah. You know yes. what I'm looking for. I also drank one of those that So I, I ended up uh in a Hartford gas station just throwing my life up and uh the guy behind the glass at the counter was like, This is not the kind of gas station you want to spend the night in. I'm just gonna let you know that right now. So uh those are great nights. Great nights, right? Legendary Legendary nights, nights man. All right. Hey, why don't we roll on here to number three, Rafe? Rafe, get your boxing crystal ball out. The pound for pound king of this sport on this date, April 22nd, 2023, will be whom? Mm. Mm. 2023. I guess I'm going to say Errol Spence. No, no, no. I'm not going to do that. I can't, I got to I got to wait till we come back to see from seatbelt season. Yeah. Um, what are you kidding me? Yeah, it's tough. Um all right. Uh Damn, man. Uh, 3 years from now? 3 years from now. It ain't going to be Loma. Let's be honest, he'd be like It ain't going to be Loma. It might even be too late for Bud. I uh, hope hopefully he gets a win between now and then Yo, here's to spend the real deal some time Bud. there. There's a lot of B and C plus oh, guys on his I got resume. you. I got you. I got you. Inoue. Naoya, the you monster so? Inoue. I wonder if he'll bite off more than he can chew and and move up too high in weight and just bang and lose a few times. Look, that is that's definitely possible and uh, they he's super ambitious like that. There, there's some rumor of him going up past bantamweight to fight Emmanuel Navarrete, El Vaquero, before Navarrete goes to 126. That's a huge size mismatch for in a way. Yeah, I mean it's it's possible, but eh, eh, the other thing is he's gonna take the risks, and because it's lower weight classes where there's not quite such huge pay-per-view ambitions for the biggest fights, I think that he has a chance to get some of those really big ambitious fights, or at least it'll be easier for him to jump up and make those fights than obviously it has been for these other sides of the street guys at, at welterweight. Um, first of all, Do you make have, that money player, yeah. first of all. Yes, we all want yeah, I was just going to, I mean, I would like to know, you know, we don't have to go deep into it, but I'd like to know what you, who you think it might be as well. Get ready for this. Not Devin Haney. He'll be in, he may be in that conversation. We'll find out how great he is. Shakur Stevenson, Rafe. You could get that. It's too, I don't think, I don't think, I think that's too early. I don't know if he's going to get the fights by then. Um, well, you know, park next to him and find out, you know, find out how tough he is, first of all, in a garage. But number two, um, I think he's going to rise and wait, and I think he's just going to keep beating people. Right? If he's special, he's special. I'm telling you that right now. I'm not trying to be this guy who was first, and, and we can go back to this podcast years later, but that's the guy right there, okay? That's I could guy. see it happening eventually. It's just a little early. What about what about Vito Milnicki? Is that – oh, is that the – um? The high school kid, the uh, vanilla. Yeah, kid. he ain't. Yeah, let me. I give you this. He ain't gonna beat Devin Haney. 
that's the dude. There's a cameraman on my on the morning combat show I do who went to high school with that guy, and he keeps constantly telling me, or went to the same high school as that guy, and he's like, "This, this is going to be the guy. This is the guy. This is the guy." All right. I mean, he's a real talent. Oh, yeah, who the hell knows right now? But he's not. You know, he could be the guy. All right. Hey, let's roll on here. Twenty for twenty for number four, Rafe. What number am I? Seven, five. I'm number four. I'm next. Uh, Rafe, you are next, my friend. We know your addiction to the liquid crack. It's a part of your life. But we also know that uh, I think whenever I see you drinking that liquid crack, uh, be happy here on this. Just to, just to... The soda to me is like liquid crack. Uh, it don't do anything for the body. I believe that you drink that weird Coke Zero or Diet Coke or whatever for performance. But when Rafe is going to drink for flavor, what is your liquid crack of choice? What's number one? What's top of the pops? On Rafe's gourmet soda list. Nah, man. Liquid crack. I, I go for the, the Coke Zero. That's it. That's oh, the top. God. Wow. See, I don't know. Do you think I drink Jones soda or any kind of yes, gourmet I soda? Think no, that I don't touch that garbage. Craft soda. No, nothing. Not even like. No, no I don't need craft red. soda. Think about that. Who needs to spend an extra dollar on that? Me, I'm an addict, I man. I'm, soda. I I need, I'm like somebody. I'm like an alcoholic who wants to drink that night train because it'll get me there quicker. I need something economical. All right. Hey, that's only one thing left to do. Let's go to number five. Rafe, um, I'm going to leave this open-ended. Was there a age, time, moment, circumstance? When did Rafe Boogs become a man? What does that mean? Did I'm not one, talking I, about I, I never, I, I never had a bar mitzvah. I'm not talking about bar mitzvahs. I'm not talking about that because we know it was a bus ride to a uh, to a choke. We know that story. But Ray, well, it wasn't it wasn't a it wasn't a bus ride. I mean, it happened. I it was a, also I had to take Amtrak to get there and I'm do it. Anyway, go life. ahead. What, what, so what are we talking about, about then? If neither of those things. I'm talking about life, maturity. People mature at different ages. When did Rafe Boogs become a man? Well, I was. I mean. I, I and sometimes I look back on this and feel like I may have missed something because I never I was always I always kind of had my stuff together. I was I didn't have a wild BC period in my life when I was just out there, you know, living wild and free, young man. I, I kind of always, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I was I was I was one of those kids who who uh, who, who didn't get into as much trouble as maybe I should have when it made sense to get into trouble. But in any case, I think of it actually as um, the time I spent in the Philippines when I went over there, moved to the country at age 23, shortly after finishing college. And that's I, I consider that the the moment in that, that I became sort of the adult that I or those years were that was the time in which I grew into the person I've, I've been ever since. Oh, I love that person. Great answer. I appreciate you going to there. Hey, let's roll on to Number six. Six? My father said that's how many beers it took. Hey, shout out to Blossom right there. That's uh, all? Rafe, um, if we were going to make one super fight, May Pack 2, whatever you want to call it, McGregor versus uh, anyone, um, the biggest fight you can make in boxing, what would be your all-star boxing broadcasting team for this one fight that would save the sport? I need two studio hosts. I need a play-by-play. Two color man and a ringside reporter, and you can't use me. Just, just yeah. I mean, oh, I know you. See that my, was my entire plan. I know though. you see my work on DAZN, but you can't use me. Okay, um, you're gonna have to walk me through this again. So let me. I'm gonna say the fight is uh, 
Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, yes. because that's, yes, yes, that, yes. that, that is the fight it would be for me right now. Um, or no, or, I mean, look, maybe Mayweather Canelo, but I don't think we're going to see that. Um, but, that uh, massive, let, yes. let's, let's try and stay in the world of reality or likely reality and stick with, uh, Fury Joshua. I would want there to be a strong, uh, let me split it down the line between the UK and the U. Well, no, it's an all UK fight, whatever. I'm still going to split it down the line between UK and USA, uh, talent. So, um, the studio hosts, I will go with Steve Bunce, Buncey, crazy oh, nice. old Buncey, and um, my man with the bald head from Showtime. Brian Custer. He's smooth. Yes, yes. Um, so those guys. Uh, now, in the, in the actual booth, I need Three one blow-by-blow blow and yes. two analysts. Yep. <clears throat> you got it. All right, so blow by blow, we're bringing back Jim Lamp. Wow. It, does, it doesn't feel right unless we got lamps. Okay. okay. And you know what? It also doesn't feel right unless we got Roy Jones Jr. in the Ooh. house. So lamps and Roy, and we're going to need one guy from the UK, showing a top your HBO, bloke. Your HBO is showing right now. Wow. You already hey. know they're the best. Okay. I, uh, you know, it, I, don't even, I don't even love lamps like most people love lamps. Okay. But – it you still the feeling you, you, the feels don't aren't the same if you don't have that have Lampley's voice on the call like that is the mark of a big boxing event. So we got Lamps Roy and I need somebody from the UK. I, look, I'm gonna go with the sentimental choice. I don't know that he's all his scorecards are a little wonky, but I want him on there. I want my guy. The Cobra, Carl Frosch. Wow, that's a great pick for the third man in the booth. Oh, and I also have to add official uh, scorer to that. Okay, I mean you have a, you have your choice from from Larry Hazard to to multiple you know Come fine on. journalists. You know, are... first of all, he's our boy. Second of all, he is the journalist. And third, most importantly, he's done a really really great job on multiple Fox broadcasts. Marcos, Marcos Viejas. Yes, yes, has Marcos. Done a spectacular. <laughs> The journalist, yes, yes, got it. The journalist, his cards are are solid. He's and and when they and and he's not flustered. He certainly does better than Steve Weisfeld did during yes. his uh, tryout with HBO. He ain't out there catching the Chuck Jampa. Uh, rest in peace, Chuck. He ain't he ain't catching the <laughs> Chuck Jampa jitters or the whatever he had. Um, so yeah, the the journalist is is doing the score for my card right. uh, for this one, and, who's and then I need two. Anymore? Two ringside? Yeah, yeah. What's well, a big enough fight? Who's your two ringside sideline reporters? You can bring uh, Eric Raskin out of the bullpen for this, but Karen, Karen and Mulvaney, Jim Gray, Claudia Trejos. Look, Christina we're starting with, with your with your girl, the new host of PBC Face to Face, Kate Abdo, because Ooh. and I think she will count as our UK choice, even though she now works in the the United States. But that's what's going to be so great about having her there. Uh, and then on the other side. Hmm. Do we go Mannix? Let's, let's throw Mannix in there wow. because I want him in that ring afterwards reliving that moment with Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury, you say you're retiring, but are you really retiring? How busy do you want to be in the next year? <laughs> you could have gone with uh, Radio Raheem, by the way, and you did not. But interesting. A great night for boxing it would be with Radio Raheem, but um, I'm going to leave him with the YouTubers for now. Number seven. 
died um not tomorrow but let's say you didn't do anything else in your career you've had a great career you've had a great run um and they were to obit you in the nyt the new york times and people would tweet oh i loved working with Rafe. what a kind soul and all that but they were only allowed to reference one great thing you've done in your career would you like your legacy to be best known pick one of the three for grantland for mcsorley's or for the Philippines? The Philippines. Why? Because that I did all by myself. I, I grew that, uh, you know, it was an idea I had developed into a, um, a you know, into a, a grant that I got to go spend years there living and researching and, and really, um, I don't know, letting basketball culture and Philippine culture uh, become a part of me in ways that, that matter to me, you know, more than 15 now, 15 years after I first went to the country. Uh, it's, and it was something that when I, you know, when I first started trying to sell that book, nobody wanted to buy it. I, I got more than 50 rejections. Uh, and, and, and people said really fuck messed up things like Filipinos don't read. Oh, I mean, wow. they can, but they won't buy books and all this stuff and and the the book did way better than all those people said it would and yeah, i was so i'm proud of it and and it still means a lot to me that i, I it's tough to pick that over mcsorley's they they're, they're in a lot of ways equally close to me but that's i don't know that is that i, I that that means the it's, it still means so much to me that that that, I, that i've done that and that i still am there with the country and um and also it's one of and you know you compare it to grantland well, Grandland was great, but like, um, you know, like this, the, nobody, nobody did Pacific Rims for me. Nobody chose me for that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it gave me the confidence to know that like I wasn't being made by Grantland, even when people tried to say I was. All right. All right. I love that. We got to roll on. We got to speed through. We both have things to Sorry. do. This is great. I'm enjoying it. Uh, number eight. Instead of one air presence, we get eight. <laughs> Rafe, if you can go back in the time machine and find senior year of high school Rafe listening to his Walkman with rap tunes, hanging out with Barbecue Bob and all the other park heads, um, what's the one warning you would tell Rafe? Uh, <laughs> um, don't, uh, don't go into a career that was uh, kind of built for people who are born rich. Oh, wow. Very interesting. Very interesting class warfare right there. I like that. Okay. Interesting. Uh, not enough time to expand on that, but to do, to do your own math. Let's go to number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Nine times. Nine times. Nine times. I don't. Rafe, when you look back at your love affair with the NBA like like I have and often always do, always do, I'm always on YouTube watching old NBA games. I mean, look, my, my prime wheelhouse of favorites is like 87 through 2000. Yours might be a little bit after that. But what's your favorite starting five of all time in NBA history? The, for one team? For one team. One year, one team. Oh, man. Um There was uh, 
Shoot, man, I could give you a, give you a college team right off the top of my head, but um, hit me with that, Rafe. Hit me with it. All right, this is a weird one. I, there were some college teams I loved, and I loved the USC team that lost to Duke in I think two thousand one or two thousand two in the uh, Elite Eight, they and they were they had Brian Scalabrini, oh. um, Sam Clancy, who was a beast. This a is beast. A, I have a fight with a white guy. Yes, we got a lot of white guys. Uh, look, on Sam here. Clancy wasn't a white guy. Um, Are you sure? That sounds like a very white name. Huh? Look him up. Um, David Blumenthal. Sure? Uh, hey, that black guy, he hits hard. Jeff Trepagne. I loved me some Jeff Trepagne back then. That's a honk name. Um, are you serious? Look him up. <laughs> Revisit that collaboration. <laughs> And the point guard, a little bald head, light skinned guy, kind of thick. I think it was David Granville or Blanville. Okay. Um, okay. I love that. That that was a fun ass team. Uh, Trapagne was, was like a track star. He couldn't. He he wasn't very skilled as a two guard, but basically could jump over the backboard. He was in, he was like six four. Just a, uh, so much fun to watch. And for the record, did you have an NBA team? Were you a Knicks fan, or what? What was going on there? I was a Knicks fan, and you know during the Starks years. But it was also I wasn't such a hardcore like I also it was weird I was a Knicks fan but I also liked the Bulls it didn't make any sense yeah, I was all I was I, it, it, it made no that's sense it, that's it not enough number ten it's time <laughs> Rafe of all the love we have for Richard Dwyer and we do I'm not saying you would ask him this because you respect the man too much but what is the one question you need answered about the life of Dwyer? If you could get it answered, what's the one curiosity of this weird boxing YouTube expert that you would want to know? Is he in on the joke? Does he know about his cult? Does he know that we and others online and people you can look back. People were making parody Dwyer accounts on Twitter years before we even figured we got in on this. Um, I think we've played an important role in blowing him up a little bit, but this has been going on for a long time. Does he know about the his own cult following? That's a great question. And how does he feel about it? Is he playing into it like a Teddy Atlas? Remember, I had Teddy Atlas on here to talk about the Hall of Fame, and I kind of asked him that, and he was like, yeah, you're being very astute. I did sort of play into the character. Interesting. Uh, time to roll on, though. Number 11. Number 11, my ass! Uh, Rafe, we all know that um, Larry Merchant never gave Floyd Mayweather a fair shake. But in hindsight, during Floyd Mayweather's welterweight and junior middleweight pay-per-view prime, did the average boxing journalist give Floyd Mayweather a fair shake? Um, yes and no. Uh, in some way, I think... Overall, Floyd got lots of he got lots of credit, right? And he was known as the best fighter in the world for many, many, many years. Uh, at the same time, there was always a, a loud group of of writers and and commentators who would say that he was boring, that he didn't, you know, all the classic kind of silly. Look, he was winning. Um, I, I'm I'm more on board with the complaints about Floyd that he was ex- very strategic about when he fought. The opponents he fought and that certain guy there were certain there was a lot of guys he never ended up fighting the paul williamses the margaritos some of those dangerous large welterweights and then others that he fought a little bit late mosley or Pacquiao, uh even Cotto fought him late so uh that side i'm okay with that criticism i'm not okay with the he was not exciting enough criticism his job isn't there to entertain it look you have 
you, people still bought his fights. So even though some people didn't find them entertaining, and obviously more people found them entertaining or were willing to pay for them than have been willing to pay for anyone else's fights before or after. Interesting. I like that. I like that answer. Um, it's time to roll on, though. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I forgot to play that. I wish I was 50 years younger you and I'd kick your ass. You yeah, you really wouldn't have done shit. But you would have tried. I mean, Larry Merchant is a pretty much a badass here. Rafe, I'm really enjoying this going deep. I'm going to go deeper now. It's time. Number 12. 6-6 six, six for North Carolina. Number 12, Michael Jordan. Uh, Rafe, uh, never forget that game at Orlando when his jersey got stolen. Um, Rafe, I want to put you on death row right now. You get one final meal. What is it? Um, Let's see. I guess uh, Nilagang Baka or, or some really good uh, bulalo, uh, you know, like? a soup from the Philippines, uh, basically, you know, beef stew uh, with uh, some, some fish sauce on the side. But this uh, nice soft beef, chunks of beef, uh, potato, um, uh, pichai, uh, pechai, uh, you know, like bok choy with it. Uh, and just, yeah, it's, it's like good. A fish and some rice. There's probably some like that sounds weird. It's probably weird. No, it's it's actually it's very it's it's pretty mild. It's not one of the more exotic foods. Right, I was uh, I was hoping you would say a slice of pizza from this specific lower Manhattan place. You know, uh, I I did grow up near Joe's and love Joe's still. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, number thirteen. You know what a thirteen looks like, don't you? Uh, Rafe, we often joke about MMA and UFC, calling them the skinhead white guys. You you do have a clue to a certain degree about what's going on there, though. What's the best skinhead white guy fight you ever saw or most excited you were for one? Or, you know, tell me something good about the UFC. Hey, I got into uh, Look, uh, this is super casual normie of me, but... I got swept up in uh, in Connor Mania or whatever the hell it was called. I think I fir- the, one of the first – like I knew who he was and then I saw – I was in Vegas uh, working on a basketball story during summer league at the same time as he fought uh, Chad Mendez and that fight was awesome. Um, and then, you know, kept fought. I remember I, was, I watched uh, – you know, I watched that Jose Aldo knockout and just, you know, the, the, the first um, – the first Nate Diaz fight, I remember yes. going to the to uh, Tom's Urban in L.A. Live with my friend Joe, and uh, and we were there and we, we watched that one. Like it was, yo, oh, I mean, I, I got swept group. up in that. I watched the Khabib fight uh, with uh, evil producer Jim Cunningham, your yes, boy. Love that guy. Uh, you know, uh, shout out to him. Stay safe, Jim, and just you know, I, I was into that. I like that. I like that answer. Number fourteen. Fourteen. <laughs> Number 14, Taco Bell Piss Nachos. Uh, Rafe, uh, as it pertains to sports and boxing in general, is journalism dead in 2020? No. Um, there's still good work happening, so you can't say it's dead. It probably is meaningless. Nobody cares about it. It's just something that's there. We're just part of the promotional machine. You know, almost there is no such. The question now isn't, are, is this sponsored content or not? It's to what extent is this content sponsored? Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, it's only one other thing to do. Let's go to number 15. At 15, Caitlin verbally assaults her teachers at school. <laughs> Drinks vodka, uses drugs, may even be sneaking boys into the family home to have sex with her. Oh, 
Caitlin, sounds awesome. Rafe, um, who was, speaking of uh, young hot chicks, who was the hottest starlet of the 90s in your youth? Who was your one of one? Who was it? Um, who? You know, I was really into Rachel from Caribbean Rhythms, the uh, the reggae show on on BT for a while. But uh, for someone more well known, I would say, um, I think I, I had a I was a I, big 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 Carmen Electra guy for a while. Ooh, so this is like pre Rodman marriage. Baywatch, Pro- yeah, definitely. It was like between Prince and Rodney. All right, all right. I can, I can get, I can certainly, I can certainly get down and up with that answer. Very well done. Number sixteen. He'd been stabbed sixteen times. Wow. Uh, Rafe, uh, who's the most overrated boxer of your time as a fan? <laughs> oh man, there's a lot we could go with here. Um, how about, how about Ricky Hatton? Okay. Okay. All right. You know, I just thought he. I always thought he was dirty, and I. I. I can't accept. I, I know he beat Costa Zoo, but I, I'm not. I just. I'm still uh, shocked Costa Zoo didn't come out for that twelfth round. Like I'm still shocked. By yeah. That. yeah. He just, you know, he, he saw the way they were doing him dirty out there, and the ref wasn't helping him out, and he was getting rough. To, and he said, you know, I, I don't need this this garbage right now. All right. All right. Uh, let's go on to number seventeen. <laughs> Uh, Rafe, we appreciate your candor on this 20 for 20 deep dive into the holes of Rafe Boogs. Uh, what's the biggest regret of your professional career? Um, let's see. Uh, you know, it's it's been a good one. I can't really complain about that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I probably I don't know what the other the opposite would have been. What the con, you know, the counter positive would be, but I, w- I would have liked to have seen what I would have done had I stayed uh, more on the uh, current affairs magazine, like not leaving Harper's magazine and ending up in, uh, moving to LA for Grantland. I would have liked to see what would have happened. Oh, interesting, interesting. Okay, I like that. Probably wouldn't have done sports for none of this makes any sense at the, after that, but I would have finished the McSorley's book a lot sooner. And who knows, you know, I certainly would have saved myself some some awful headaches over um, Grantland. Thank you. Thank you very much for being honest. Number 18. 18 in life, you know, your crime is time. And it's 18 in life to go. 18 in life and counting. 18 in life to go. Rafe, what's the, uh, once you became a man in 18, what's the closest you've come to being arrested as an adult? Hmm. I haven't come too close. Um, really, just getting pulled over a few times. Uh, but but they, and you know the cops pressed me, but just just to I don't know, just because that's often how they start those stops, right? They come in hot to to to, to scare the crap out of you, uh, and it, it worked in my case. Um, it is hot. Yeah, you know, yeah. A couple times, I You're guess you know, walking on the street. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, a couple times on the street, you know, I got. Uh, I, you know, I wear, because I'm wearing, you know, hoodies or something, guy, cops would stop and be like, oh, you know, where were you, you know, and think that I, I guess like fit some of the, you know, with the size and shape of someone they were looking for. Um, but nothing other, nothing serious ever. Okay. Number 19. 19. COVID-19. 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 COVID-19
bitch. It's kind of catchy, that COVID-19. A lot of people catching it, Rafe. Uh, they say never meet your hero, Rafe, number 19. Can you give us a, a time that you did meet a hero and, and they lived up to the expectations? Oh, lived up to the expectations, huh? Jackie McMullen, absolutely. Ooh, wow. uh, when when Jackie and I got to work on Basketball Love Story, the book together, uh, you know, she's a, a legendary NBA reporter who, of course, I've seen on TV and read her stuff and always just and had this huge reputation that preceded her as just a, a rock solid person that people admired. And I got to meet her and work with her, and she lived up to all of that and more. Like Larry Merchant, if you if she was fifty years younger, Rafe. I, that's I have no clue. I have no clue. I mean, look, you never you never say never. All right. Number 20. I am 20 and I love to dance. Rafe, I want to close this as simple as possible because you've been great opening up the, the wounds, the, the wins, the losses of your life. What's the best piece of advice Rafe Bugs has ever heard that still rings true in your brain today? Oh man, uh, advice. Um, I, um, I, I mean, I think of it as a very, it's boxing advice, but I think of it as something that crosses over really easily. And it's, uh, you know, let your hands go, whatever it is you're doing. Obviously it, it, I haven't taken that to, to, I haven't used that in, in the boxing sense at all, but in terms of writing, in terms of whatever you're working on, uh, let your hands go. You know, try something. Don't be don't be scared. Love it. Love it. Rafe Books, we feel like we learned a lot about you. I enjoyed it. I feel like I'm a better man from this. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of our life, a part of this podcast. All right. Thank you for Blue Moon. Thank you. 20 for 20 in the books. Up next, Joe Bob Briggs. Here he is. Enjoy. You're going to love this. It's coming at you. Now, dig it. Now, stepping into the State of Combat podcast on CBS Sports, it's not every day you get to talk to your childhood idols. I've been there with Sugar Ray Leonard, Billy Zobka from the Karate Kid movies. Today, it's the one and only film critic, writer, comedian, Joe Bob Briggs. And Joe Bob, it's a pleasure for me because you may not have known it through your stints on Monster Vision on TNT and drive-in theater on TMZ in the 90s, but you babysat me plenty of nights, for better or for worse, sir. Oh, my God. That was quite a list. I don't think I've ever been on a list with the Karate Kid guy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Great to have you on because, look, this is how it went in the 90s, Joe Bob. You were in a different position. You were presenting the entertainment, but if you're a, a, a geek kid at home, You'd watch sports, maybe you'd check Saturday Night Live on a Saturday night, and then you are on a mission to find nudes on Cinemax or Showtime. And if you couldn't find any nudes, you're like, what's Joe Bob got going on over there in the in the horror classics? Uh, I don't well, know if you're proud I, yeah, of that. Actually, legacy. I, I actually hosted the nudes, too, before, <laughs> before that. I had, I had a show on the movie channel, which, if you remember... If you could, uh, you know, back back when you had to pay a lot for a for a premium service, you had to like, you know, everybody had HBO, and then if you if you if you had extra money, you got HBO and Showtime, and then if you had extra money after that, you got HBO and Showtime and Cinemax, and then if you still had money left over, you got the fourth premium channel, 
the movie channel. Yes. <laughs> and, I was, and I was the guy who hosted the, uh, the late night stuff on the movie channel. And so, and so, yeah, we had those West German sex comedies. You remember the West German sex comedy? <laughs> She's 19 and ready. Uh, yes, yes, I do. I think she wasn't. She was forty-five, and she never was going to be ready. But anyway, I I think I hosted. She's nineteen and ready like thirty times on on the movie channel. You know, long before I got to Monster Vision at TNT. Anyway, that's 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 a worthless digression that we just went on. Oh, I I enjoyed it. I mean, the pillars of my of it. The pillars of my late night youth were Emmanuel and Joe Bob Briggs. So I I thank you. Oh my God! Yeah. Um, I hosted all those too, the all the Emmanuel movies. There must have been fifty of those things. Yes, yes, she's an incredible woman. Uh, I love that you're you're back at it these days with the old tried and true formula. Uh, right now on Shutter, doing your your the season premiere will be Friday, April twenty fourth of your The Last Drive In with Joe Bob Briggs show, nine Eastern and Pacific. And what's cool for combat sports fans is that. You will be teaming up with Chris Jericho, pro wrestling star of uh, WWE past AEW today. Um, this fires me up. It's, it's it's combining all my worlds together. And if and if fans out there don't know what Shudder is, it's the AMC's network's premium streaming service for all you horror, thriller, and supernatural fans. And Joe Bob, uh, how well do you know Chris Jericho? How excited are you to sort of team well, up? Well, I've, I've gotten I've gotten to know him pretty well. I mean, he is a horror fan himself, and the reason the reason where uh, that that I, I was on his podcast, but the reason he's coming on on uh, my show is that when he was a kid in uh, uh, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, um, he had a cheap ass movie club that he and his friends had every week where they would try to find, you know, the, the worst, most outrageous movie at the video store. And he fell in love with a movie called blood sucking freaks, which I happen to be a champion of as well. Yes. And he's been, and, and he's loved it ever since. And he's, uh, and he's, he's uh, been obsessed with it ever since. And so we're doing a deep, 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 uh, <laughs> analysis of blood sucking freaks, both, you know, my experience with it, his experience with it. And he really is a, a hardcore horror fan. And, uh, so we're sort of co-hosting that night with, uh, so we can do the, uh, 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 uh the full treatment on blood sucking freaks. Well, that is one, one of the most notorious movies ever made. Uh, one of one of the most uh, controversial movies ever made. That is must see TV for somebody like me. I hope for <laughs> others as well. Um, I mentioned I was excited that you're that you're back at it. I mean, we remember you, of course, like I said in the '90s with Monster Vision, with uh, Drive-In Theater. Uh, how close would you say the current iteration on Shutter of what you do is to the the tried and true old formula? It's the exact same show. I've done the exact same show three times now. Every it's and I I even say to the producers, I say, Hey, you know, we can't do this. That's like a twenty year old format. Can you know, what what are we gonna add to the format? And they say, Nothing, nothing. We want you to do the exact same thing you did in the nineties. <laughs> and so so that's what we're doing. We haven't changed anything. We still have the male girl, we still have the uh drive-in totals we still we still have commercial breaks even though we have no commercials it's a streaming service we still have commercial breaks we interrupt the movie and i talk about the you know what's going on and and uh 
it's just, it's exactly the same show that I was doing in the eighties and the nineties. And now I'm still doing it all these years later. But, um, uh, but you know, streaming is a very forgiving, um, uh, 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 way of, of watching a movie because you, you don't have any time limitations. And so, uh, uh, so, you know, as we have, as we have gone on with this show on, on Shudder, um, uh, we've added elements here and there and, and, uh, we just, we just keep, uh, we just keep running the, you know, the, the movies keep running longer and longer <laughs> because we just keep, we keep adding things like Chris Jericho, <laughs> you know, suddenly Chris Jericho is there. Well, you know, you can't run him off after five minutes, you know, he's, he's a talker. So, um, so, uh, 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 so yeah, we, we have a lot of fun, uh, with the format. And, uh, especially, you know, um, it's, it's weird because we are a streaming service, but it's kind of appointment TV. People, people want to show up at when, when we, when it airs and, and be on the social media and, and, uh, you know, and so we've developed kind of a little, uh, I don't know, like a community around the show. And it's, uh, it's kind of nice. It's a bigger community than the one I had at, at uh, TNT, in the in the 90s well it's a smaller Um, world these days with the damn internet so it's got to be cool i do see that you're on twitter at the real joe bob that fired me up uh are you adjusting well to where we're at now where people have like instant access to you if they want to take some shots or praise you these days oh my god it's like the pressure is 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 horrendous because (laughs) i'm supposed to be the expert right and so you make one mistake, you've got a thousand people on your ass. You know, it's just like as soon as you as soon as you get an actor's name wrong or a date wrong or anything on on a on a show like that, uh, you've got five hundred people correcting you. You know, and and you have to you have to go ahead and admit that you were wrong because you've already been because five hundred people have already proven you wrong. (laughs) It's like like there is absolutely no room for error on these shows. Uh, When I first started talking about these movies years ago, we didn't know who made them. We didn't know where they came from. We didn't necessarily know who the director was or whether he lived in Iran or L.A. or, you know. And and so you know I would make a few phone calls, find some information about some of the movies, but but usually I was the only guy talking about it. You know, uh, now that's all changed. You know, these guys, these guys. Uh, you know, they say they, when they interview me, they say, uh, uh, "Well, you must know more about these movies than anybody." And I say, "No, no. <laughs> there are guys who never leave their apartment, even without the coronavirus." And they have watched. They have watched a hundred thousand of these movies. You know? So, awesome. so I have to be. I have to live in constant fear of those guys. <laughs> well, how do you? Is there a a stereotypical example of of throughout your career uh, reviewing these classic sort of drive and B movies of who your fan base is, or or, or how often are you surprised that there's no real, uh, you know exact market for for this type of uh, cinema classic <laughs> well uh, historically it was historically it was the guy it was always a guy and it was the guy who never leaves his apartment it was that guy <laughs> you know the guy who never leaves his apartment that was my fan base uh and there weren't that many there weren't that many women in the fan base now increasingly 
there are uh, the 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 female audience for horror has grown exponentially. And so um, uh, suddenly there were all these women around, you know, and uh, uh, that was something that didn't really exist with the original uh, uh, horror audience. Uh, if you go back to, I mean, uh, years ago, speaking of horror and wrestling, uh, years ago, I had uh, uh, Roddy Piper on my show because he he, he had a, a, a brief career as a horror actor. Oh, yeah. He was in They Live and and um and and some other uh uh classics like um oh my god what was the one where he was uh uh hell comes to frogtown uh and uh and and uh he he was uh he was a great guest by the way and uh he he sort of co-hosted they live with me one night um but there were no there were no um uh women in his in his audience <laughs> You know, uh, there, there are, uh, there are, so that's, that's probably the main change is gender over the, over the years that, you know, uh, uh, and the other change is just that people want to be, people want to be grossed out more. It, It takes more to gross people out today than it did in let's say 1992. (laughs) So the the movies have gotten more more and more hardcore. Uh, You mentioned that, that great episode. I remember it when it aired on TNT in the late nineties of monster vision with Roddy Piper. And I went back and watched it this week and uh, it was cool. Oh, you did. Yeah, he's just so intense. Yeah. I mean, he's hilarious. He always had the one-liners, but but he really pulled off the the intense badass at the same time. So you're with TNT at that time. He had resurrected the second half of his career with WCW, which was, of course was a TNT right. product. Were you a big wrestling fan back then during those days? I I was I, I wouldn't say a big fan, but I was definitely following WCW because a lot of times we would come on after WCW. I, I had the only show in the history of television that had no start time. <laughs> we just we just came on whenever the basketball game was over, or the wrestling was over, or the or the you know the 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 United Nations Song Fest was over, or whatever, and uh, and uh, and and we would start. And so a lot of times. We're sitting there waiting for the waiting for the matches to be over, <laughs> and so yeah, I got to know some of those guys, and I actually I I think um, I think Chris Jericho was uh, starting out his uh, yes. his um, his career at WCW uh, at the same time that I was on uh, TNT, and actually I thought WCW now you you correct you're the expert on this, so correct me if I'm wrong. But I thought WCW was ahead of was ahead of the game um, for most of the '90s when I was there. I mean, weren't they the leading um, uh, promotion at the time? There was a specific and, stretch, and, Joe. Of or eight, would you disagree with that? No, I, I will tell you, there was a specific stretch of 83 weeks from '96 to '97 that they were beating WWE, which has had you know the old standby every single week and. Uh, and so it, it's that combined to sort of make the late '90s. They call it the Attitude Era. It was sort of the you know the the, the biggest financial boom pro wrestling had ever seen. Well, I recall I, I had a lot of dealings with the high sheriffs at uh, at TNT who were who were working for Ted Turner, and Ted Turner um, uh, himself um, 
loved loved wrestling. Oh yeah. Uh, the people who were working for him, not so much, <laughs> not so much. And you would hear kind of snide comments from time to time from the from the really top guys at uh, at TNT. And I was thinking, are you guys crazy? And they were they were crazy about um, NBA. They had the NBA. You know, and they were crazy about that. They loved that. And um, I would talk to the programmers and the programmers would say, you know, unless Michael Jordan is playing, the NBA sucks. Nobody <laughs> watches. Nobody watches unless Michael Jordan is playing. But everybody always watches wrestling. And um, but the I don't know that this happens a lot with TV executives, you know. It was not prestigious enough for them, yes. you know, yes. at the time. And, and the so uh, they were Jordan. going after these other more prestigious sports. Absolutely. They went after Sunday night football and things like that. Then the AOL Time Mer- Warner merge happened and wrestling got knocked off the network. That's r- around the time that Monster Vision went away. Were you a victim of that as well? Um, there was a whole, There were a whole lot of format changes where they were trying to make TNT, quote, Female friendly, more female friendly. <laughs> we got to get rid of, of Joe Bob. Yeah. I'm the first guy to go when you do that, you know. Because, <laughs> you know, it's like you know you're supposed to have fifty fifty. You know, when they do your demographics, it's supposed to say fifty fifty male female. You know, and mine was probably like ninety three seven. And so they were they were buying all these sort of. Um, they were buying shows like ER and they were developing that, uh, that, uh, plan to be, you know, we are drama and yes. to be, um, sort of the lifetime network of the Ted Turner networks, you know? And so, but, uh, you know, I, I could sort of see that my days were numbered under that format. So you had females that's kind of what happened in your movies. You had females problem was they were either getting aardvarked as you would say, or killed. And then, so, so I could understand the uh, yeah. difference. Well, that's true. That's another issue we were always dealing with is, is, uh, you know, in, in increasingly we, we were, it was after the era of the slasher film, but we were still showing the slashers. And they were they were increasingly politically incorrect. And even though we were we were showing them in a tongue in cheek way, we were making fun, you know. But it was still kind of you know getting you know we were getting pressure um, uh, over you know uh, showing too many slashers. And then and then um, sometimes I was um, I would just get in trouble for a joke, you know. It's like in- increasingly. Um, uh, you know, you had to be really careful about who you joked, <laughs> who you made jokes that about. That was something I was going to ask and you because so, your monologues were always legendary. How you just come out. I mean, I just listened to you cut a promo on, on free range chicken. That was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> and I'm like, how many times was the network knocking on the door the next day? Well, fortunately, because we were on so late at night and we never had a set start time, most of the high sheriffs never really watched the show. And it was on on the weekend, too. And so they weren't really watching on the weekend. So the only time I had to deal with it is when enough people wrote in to complain. And then they go back and watch it. They they go back and watch it after the fact. So the, so, so for a lot of those executives, the only time they ever saw me is when I was getting in trouble. <laughs> they, never even, they never even watched the show otherwise. We were pretty much... We were pretty much left alone. Late night was not a big um, uh, thing for them. They didn't really care that much about it. And so I was, you know, it was a blessing, actually, because I was pretty much left alone. 
you know, we, we, we came on anywhere from 9.30 to 11.30 at night. And then as long as we just had to be out by 6 a.m. They didn't care. We could finish at 3.30, 4.30, 5.30. As long as we were out by 6 a.m., they didn't care. And so, Time for the infomercials, yes. And so, uh, and so we just, uh, you know, we just went with that. And uh, it, it, it lasted for a long time. I didn't know at the time how many people were watching it, you know, because they don't, they don't really tell you. Um, and, uh it was just, you know, years later that people would uh, would uh, say, hey, whatever happened to that show that you had? Well, I, I love the, the <laughs> Joe Bob character because it it, ha- it almost felt like pro wrestling because, you know, you're you're John Bloom, the writer and comedian, but you created this character that felt like a wrestling pro, you know, manager in some way or announcer. Uh, how accepted were you? At your peak in the '90s in mainstream Hollywood, when you'd go to these, you know, uh, these fancy schmancy things, were, were, <laughs> did, was Joe Bob a big well, hit with the ladies? Let me put it this way: I was the only guy in the room wearing a bolo tie. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was not out in LA very much. Uh, we we did the show in Dallas, and um, uh, of course uh, TNT. Uh, uh, was in Atlanta. Uh, TNT and TBS were in Atlanta. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I was working mostly in the South and I wasn't, I wasn't in the LA world that much. Um, I was always, I, I, I was always, uh, uh, you know, talking about, uh, sports. Um, TNT had an, had the opportunity to get NASCAR in the, in the in the period when I was there, and they and they chose the NBA over NASCAR, and I thought, where does NASCAR belong? It belongs in in Atlanta, right? It belongs at TNT. Um, but um, uh, but we, we were not really LA oriented. Well, what's the origin of the character here, and how different is Joe Bob Briggs from the real man behind it? It's an exaggerated version of myself, I would say. I mean, I don't, I don't ever say anything that I probably wouldn't say to you. Um, but uh, uh, the uh, the way the way I started uh, uh, doing it was, I was at the uh, a newspaper called the Dallas Times. I'm a journalist. I was at the new, a newspaper called the Dallas Times Herald uh, in the early '80s, and I became the film critic because I was trying to finish a true crime book that I was writing and I didn't want to leave town. And so the film critic job was open. And, uh, when you're the film critic, you have to review every damn movie that comes along. And so I had to review every mainstream Hollywood movie and I hated all the mainstream Hollywood movies, (laughs) but I loved these movies that premiered at the drive-in and they were never, uh, uh, reviewed for critics. And, uh, and so I started, um, reviewing them. I was the first person to review them. They were considered, you know, just disposable trash, just, you know, the exploitation films. And, um, and the column caught on, it was called Joe Bob goes to the drive-in and then it became syndicated. And then, um, it just grew from there. And, uh, I, I just became a champion of the, of the exploitation film, got to know Roger Corman, um, who was probably the biggest uh, name in exploitation at the time. And, um, from him, I, I sort of developed the drive-in totals, blood, breast, and beast, the yes. three Bs. 
and, and uh, uh, along about 1985 or 86, um, the movie channel was looking for some, uh, some uh, hosts and um, uh, they saw an article I'd written for Rolling Stone about Dennis Hopper and said, oh, he, he apparently likes these movies that we bought. <laughs> and, so, and so they brought me in to host their exploitation product. Uh, she's 19 and ready, stuff like that. <laughs> and and, uh, and uh, uh, for, for a month. And then they invited me back the next month and the next month and the next month. I was there 11 years. So, um, uh, so that's kind of how it got started. And and uh uh and i continued to do other things but uh you know got got to be known more for that than for anything else that i did well the drive-in uh, but, totals are iconic yeah. joe bob i always called it your roll call i've got a sample right here to remember what we've got here is nine dead bodies 15 zombies two breasts which Ted, of course, made us edit out for TNT, so you won't see those. A little zombie kickboxing, exploding car, fingers through the eyeballs, drunk who gets his head ripped off, a lasered fat woman, hands roll, arms roll, and yes, heads roll, two stars, and I'm being generous with the two stars. So- and that was for uh, the, the, the stinker Halloween 3, Joe Bob, which I'm sure you remember well. Oh, oh, Halloween 3. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, the one with no Michael Myers, no Donald Pleasance. Uh, yeah, the, the the big mistake, Halloween. Yeah, and no and no <laughs> boobs because of Ted Turner on TNT right there. But uh, hey, you made it all the way to the Tonight Show with Jay Leno in 1992. Uh, you you turned this character into something you know fairly damn iconic. Did you ever think you'd still be playing this role today? No, no, I did not. I did not. Uh, I was had, you know, between the uh, Monster Vision show and the Shutter show, there's a 17-year hiatus. Well, Where you been, Joe Bob? 17 years I was writing books and writing articles and, you know, going back to my journalism career. And so uh, uh, I was, I was actually... Uh, shocked when when we did that marathon in the summer of 2018, and um, uh, and it became so popular that you know it became a regular show. Um, in fact, I was, uh, I was I thought I'd blown it once again once again because um, uh, you know we we broke the internet that night and so nobody could watch it. And I was like, well, I guess that's it for me. <laughs> you know, that's all that work goes for nothing. And they were like, oh, no, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. And I'm like, what? You know, uh, no, this means that everybody wanted to watch it. And I said, but nobody can watch it, right? They said, no, nobody can watch it. And I said, well, I kind of wanted people to watch it. <laughs> and they were like, you know, they can't watch it. <laughs> but anyway, because we broke the internet, it became popular. That's great. And so, um, they, I guess they were, they, they, I hope that they went back and watched it and streaming, <laughs> you know, but, but, uh, that, that kind of launched us into where we are today. Well, you got the iconic, uh, catchphrases, the three B's, as we mentioned. So there's this particular type of movie that would qualify as a drive in. Yeah, uh, three elements. Three elements. Blood. Breasts and beasts. Uh, do you have a favorite of the three, Joe Bob? 
Oh no, I you know I I couldn't. Uh, I was always trying to find an, a fourth B um, <laughs> for martial arts, and could never come up with a word. You know, I uh, if you if you ever come up with a with a word that starts with B, that means martial arts. I you know boots. <laughs> I don't know what you could say, um, but uh, uh, no, they're all they're all equally important. I developed those through conversations with Roger Corman about you know what what are the elements of the of the ultimate exploitation film, and uh, they've held up after all these years. Well, like for- uh, and and you know there's also car crashes, explosions, sure. car chases. Did you get into the my favorite if they're exploitation I don't know are the cheesy late 80s early 90s action movies the Steven Seagal you know the the, oh, the yeah. Schwarzeneggers are, are do those fall are they neighbors of a traditional 3B movie Oh absolutely absolutely uh uh everything that Charles Bronson made Yes of uh, uh, everything that Chuck Norris made Remember those movies the missing in action movies Oh those were great They must have made they must have made 30 of those where they kept going back over to Vietnam to rescue the, the the soldiers that were left over there from the last movie that were still in cages in Vietnam. <laughs> and and uh, they, they shot all those in the Philippines. You know, those were great. Um, uh, the, uh, do you remember an actor named Wings Hauser? Yes. He used to make, um, uh, he used to make low budget, uh, low, but the low budget action film has kind of gone away. Um, Action Jackson, remember that one? They, one. They, Carl Weathers, they were yes. trying to, they were trying to turn turn Carl Weathers into an action star. Um, Don't forget Remo Williams, uh, The Adventure Begins. I would that that's my wheelhouse yeah. right here, right, Joe Bob. So I, I I always thought Carl Weathers would become an action star because he was so much better looking than the ones who were action stars, <laughs> and 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 he was an athlete, you know, he was a genuine athlete, and uh, and and for some reason it just never clicked with him. Uh, action Jackson's a really good movie. It was. I love the, the the car driving into the bedroom in the final scene there, and uh, <laughs> you know he was great, obviously in Predator as well with Schwarzenegger. Um, I wanted to ask you this. Uh, look, we're filling time on the in, in this quarantine days like a lot of people for content on my CBS Sports Boxing Show. We just reviewed uh, a couple weeks ago my favorite action movie of all time, Marked for Death, Steven Seagal, 1990. And Joe Bob, I Ooh. think I've seen the worst death ever. It was the end of the movie, the second screw-faced Jamaican twin. He got, are you ready for this? He got a sorted, a sword cut him from head to crotch. Then he got his eyes gouged into his brain. Then Seagal broke the guy's back over his knee, then threw him down an empty elevator shaft in which his body separated on top of a rusty uh, spike at the bottom. Have you seen worse deaths in your career at uh, Monster Vision? Oh, man, that, now that's my kind of movie. You're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're making me want to go watch it again. <laughs> that's, that's just and that that level of stunt work that guy probably had just got a hundred bucks for that yeah yeah that's true he's a <laughs> he's a true legend uh we loved you on these shows can't wait to keep watching you on the last drive-in with joe bob briggs uh never forget by the way those episodes of buried with children billy ray wetnap heck of a name joe bob <laughs> yep that was just a uh yet yet another outlandish version of myself uh <laughs> uh on married with children that was fun yeah uh, i do blame my my dad for uh getting me into the type of movies that you put on there he let me rent ghoulies 
when I was five years old. I don't know if you remember that one with the with the goblin oh, coming Julie, up to the toilet. Oh, that's a classic, yeah. The 1985 classic, so uh, that set me off on the wrong road. But here we are today. Uh, I'll encourage everyone to check it out. It's the season premiere, Friday, April 24th, 9 Eastern and Pacific, on Shutter of The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. Chris Jericho is the co-host, and new episodes of this program will stream every Friday night through June 26th. If you don't have Shutter, you should. Go to Shutter.com. New members can get 30 days free with the promo code SHUTTIN. S-H-U-T-I-N. Uh, Joe Bob Briggs, it's been a true pleasure, sir, going up and down the road with you. Uh, thank you for the time. Thank you. Yeah, uh, just it was fun. In closing, did you have real beer in those beer can cushies in front of the motor? I occasionally did. It depended on what time of the night it was. But, yes, we occasionally did have, have real beer in there. Or stronger, stronger spirits at times. Indeed. Uh, thanks so much, <laughs> sir. Best of luck to you in the show moving forward. All right. See you later. All right, special thanks to Joe Bob Briggs. Check, please check out his work this Friday as the that's Joe Bob's driving his back. It's Chris Jericho. You got it. You got to check that out. Rafe, to close here, follow you at Rafe Bugs. Follow your work at theathletic.com. Really just follow you. Thank you for being so vulnerable with us today. Do you have any message for our great listeners as we as we end this program? Yeah, um, I think that it's time, you know, as much, I, I love all of the great sponsors that you and CBS are able to bring in, but I think there's one sponsor I want us to work on getting. And if we could use our, 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 our community here to help us get it, yes. let's, let's make this the official podcast of Magnums. Magnum? So you're talking about the uh, the the J, the I, the M, the M, the Y, O? That's right, the Jimmy. Yes, okay. yes. I, 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 I need, need them. I need yes. a body bag. Yes. All right. Uh, you can you can uh, check out our work this week. Look, I got a special interview with Jim Ross. If you're a, if you're a wrestling type of guy, um, Rashad Evans on the MMA show. Always a great time. Big time guest this week with Chael Sonnen and Demetrius Johnson of One Championship fame. Uh, Rafe, um, two words. That's that's all I need. We out.